is the Church Law Podcast, where you can get practical solutions for today's leaders. I'm your host, Erika Cole, the church attorney. Welcome back to the Church Law Podcast, which is a part of Christianity Today's podcast network. I'm your host, Erika Cole, known as the church attorney. I'm a big law partner from a small town now living outside of Washington, D.C. with my husband and two sons. I've practiced law for over 20 years, and my sole focus has been serving churches, ministries, and denominations in the area of church law. And I have the pleasure of being a senior editorial advisor with Church Law and Tax. So I hope you were able to check out the season one trailer that we shared with you last week. It provided a little backdrop of who I am and what you as a church leader can expect from this podcast. If you didn't get to it, the trailer is pretty short. So hopefully you can plan to check it out after you listen to today's episode. Today, we're talking about the top legal issues confronting churches. We're going to go a bit deeper to share the who, what, when, where, and why church law issues matter, especially now. This information is relevant for churches of all sizes, and whether your church is a part of a denomination or association of churches or an independent congregation, this podcast is for you. Every church has some similar needs as well as some unique challenges. You may not have thought about it this way, but the legal issues affecting churches are like a thread moving through every component of church operations. So for example, at the start, you may have considered, should I incorporate the church? That decision likely considers things like, what are your state law requirements? Because every state, which we as lawyers also call jurisdiction, every jurisdiction has specific laws to the requirements of forming a new legal entity. And so the law governs things like incorporation. And I've had questions from churches like, if I incorporate, does that mean that the government's going to have some special powers over my church? And I usually answer the question this way. It's if you have purchased property, right? If you own a home, the same kind of baseline government activity is involved in that, right? You got a deed and that says you own this property. And that's kind of the same as incorporation. It's state papers that say this church has been formed here. It's not really particularly high level regulation. But to the point, it's a critical legal consideration that is a baseline for for church operations. So after that, you have to, most states say, be duly formed. And so I'm giving you air quotes, that word duly, that's a great legal word. And basically that means you're going to want to adopt some bylaws right? Because your bylaws are going to help you know, how do we operate as a church, right? It's your, it's your governance. It 
is where you determine whether it's congregationally led or elder led. Um, we generically call the governance component of a church as, as your board, your governing board. And then you're going to need to open a bank account, right? Again, that requires you complete an SS4 through the Internal Revenue Service. So that's what gives you, after it's been processed, an employer identification number. And as I often say, the EIN or employer identification number is like the social security number for an entity, right? So all of these things have a legal thread, certainly a tax thread going through it. And you may have had to consider whether the church would apply for tax-exempt status. That, again, is something that happens on the federal level. Um, That uh, the IRS, as you know, does everything by form number, right? So 1099, W-2, this is a form 1023. So everything is this form. And so if you apply for tax-exempt status, that again, has legal considerations. It's quite a lengthy application. and um, But these are all a part of the considerations that church leaders make. And all these things have a legal thread. Once the church is formed, do you decide to rent a property, for example? That means that you may have a, I would would hope, a written agreement, a lease, a commercial lease, and there are going to be legal terms in that lease. So there there are all these things that have direct impact on the successful operation of a church. And it's my vision that with this podcast, we'd be able to assist churches to be aware of what it takes to achieve and maintain legal compliance, um, also adopt best practices in state and federal compliance, financial management, asset protection, and risk management. So just like we would take ourselves to a doctor's appointment, right, for a medical wellness checkup to make sure your general health and lifestyle are are moving you in a healthy direction, it's the same for, for the church operation. So, you know, we'd want to assess and make sure that the appropriate needs and avoid any future crisis. Um, that the church is well prepared to minimize risk and be assured of its compliance and be well positioned to confidently manage any issues that may arise. You as a church leader want to have all of the best resources at your hand. And we hope that this podcast would be a part of it. So what do successful churches do differently, right? Well, they make sure that they have the right professionals and they don't necessarily outsource every job to a volunteer. And hopefully we'll get a chance to talk about um, how to make best use of, of volunteers and put those people who, who serve the church in the best possible position to um, be successful as well. But they also want to make sure that they are proactive and having the right policies and procedures in place um, to ensure that the church runs like a well-oiled machine from day one, ideally. They want to make sure that they are IRS compliant. What are the rules, (laughs) right? What are the regulations? And, And frankly, make sure that they're also compliant on a state level. 
And you may feel that as a church leader, you've been swimming upstream a bit, especially as I call it, the the COVID overlay, right? It's as if there weren't enough challenges in operating a church in today's environment. You've had to manage the unique challenges of operating in COVID times, but you're, you're not alone. And I trust that you'll find this podcast to be a great resource, a great place to come to find information and, um, and, and resources to help you help others. So today, I also want to highlight information from Richard Hammer. I know that many of you all also appreciate the breadth and depth of background that Richard brings to um, church law and tax, as well as um, the other excellent resources that he provides. So Richard is, I always say, sort of like the godfather of church law um, and his background as having, let me see, a law degree. I may miss something. A law degree, an MBA, um, a CPA. Um, I think he's also a parliamentarian. I mean, he has a unique background. And so he's going to be joining me in a future episode of the podcast. So listen up. But one of the things that he has shared is the top five reasons churches end up in court. And I think this has been tracked for well over a decade. And for the lion's share of each year that this has been tracked, the number one reason has been sexual abuse of a minor. And that as as a mom, that just breaks my heart. But these are what the facts tell us. And what Richard shares is that victims frequently allege that a church is responsible for their abuse-related injuries, often on the basis of such claims as the negligent selection, retention, and or supervision of the perpetrator. So again, from a legal standpoint, if your church has not adopted a child abuse policy, you're, you're, you're inadvertently setting yourself up for some difficulties potentially because courts, frankly, are seeing so many of these cases and they, the judges live in the same world you live in, right? And the judges are often parents themselves and they can envision how horrible of an instance this would be for a child. And they expect that churches have by now, all that we have seen, responded in a way that helps protect the young people within their their care. So a child's protection policy is critical. But that number one reason churches end up in court for, you know, nine times out of 10 has been sexual abuse of a minor. Number two is property disputes. And if you listen to the trailer episode, you heard me share the way that I realized that there was this whole component intersection of the law and the needs of churches is through um, a property dispute that came before the court when I was clerking for the chief judge of our state's highest court. So it was very interesting that number the number two reason why churches end up in court is over property. Um, common examples include things like eminent domain, restrictive covenants, adverse possession, and I think 
the biggest reason certainly that I've seen in my over two decades of work is that is conflict over who, who actually owns the property. And this can be particularly the case when there's a dispute between the denomination and the local church. So number two reason why churches end up in court, property disputes. The number three reason is maybe something that people could envision perhaps more readily than than anything, which is personal injury. And that's a, a, a bucket of legal areas, including things like a slip and fall, right? Someone enters the church and let's say it's a snowy day or it's rainy or whatever, they, they slip and fall. Or it could also be like vehicle accidents, the church van being in an accident. I've certainly dealt with those cases um, or playground mishaps. Um, potential church liability arises a variety of ways and through a variety of activities on and off the church property as um, the church law and tax summary. And I think we can link this to in the show notes as well. So you can see it's a really great summary that, that Rich Hammer compiled in church law and tax shares. And number four reason is zoning. And I have found this to be so interesting where church leaders do all the due diligence uh, on the one hand of finding finding the right property that suits their needs, they think would be most appropriate for their, their, their members and visitors, et cetera. And um, it's a great property. I've seen churches put a lot of money into a property only to later discover that it's not zoned properly. So number four reason why churches end up in court is zoning cases. Again, share that many of these cases involve various kinds of claims, including um, a specific law that's designed to protect the free exercise rights of individuals and houses of worship. Could also be just challenges around asking the county or city um, to change the zoning to adjust it so that a church could be in a certain space. The number five and final reason of the top five is insurance coverage disputes. And again, this the message here is that there are common disputes that could include employment practices, the duty of notification, prompt notification, any misrepresentations that could be alleged when an insurance application is completed. So that's your top five. So some of you may may relate to some of these experiences. And again, we'll plan to include that graphic in the show notes. And again, considering the special tax laws that apply to churches, I'd want you to be aware that the IRS actually provides a publication specific to churches, and that's um, publication 1828. And it informs us that Congress has enacted special tax laws that apply to churches, religious organizations, and ministries in recognition of their unique status in American society and their rights guaranteed by the First Amendment. So as you're well aware, that churches and religious organizations are generally exempt from income tax and receive other favorable tax treatment under the law. However, there are some unique exceptions. And so as a part of the information that we share with you, we'd want you to be 
we'd want you to be well aware. So I know I've probably covered a lot of ground, but I wanted to go a bit deeper to show you and share with you what you can expect um, in this Church Law Podcast. I'm excited to have guests like Richard Hammer and others. And want to also mention that if you're listening to this episode before September 23rd, 2021, there's another opportunity to be with me and with Rich Hammer and other church leaders and professionals who serve them through the Church Compliance Conference. I actually created the Church Compliance Conference back in 2007. And it's a conference that equips and inspires leaders, church leaders, administrators, etc., with essential information necessary to operate in compliance with this ever-changing legal environment that we live in. So we hope that you'd be able to join us. We are hosting the event virtually again this year. And we'll plan to include the registration link in the show notes. It's free to attend and we'd love to have you. So this concludes today's podcast. I'm so glad that you were with us. I'm looking forward to um, the rest of the season and stay tuned. for listening to the Church Law Podcast. We invite listeners like you to submit questions and comments. Send your email with the subject line podcast question to contact at takethenextcall.com. This podcast is brought to you by Church Law and Tax, part of Christianity Today's podcast network. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. It is provided with the understanding that the host and the publisher are not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, or other professional services. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional person should be sought. Due to the nature of the U.S. legal system, laws and regulations constantly change. Listeners are encouraged to consult with legal counsel to verify the information provided here remains current. Visit churchlawandtax.com for more insights.